Hello and welcome to this episode of Irreligiosophy, entitled, We're Back, Bitches. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we had so many emails come through that said, where are you guys? We miss you. That we determined that if we didn't put out a podcast, people would start coming to Charlie's house and murdering his family. Well, yeah. <laughs> We've had death threats, uh, meltdowns in the comment threads. It's amazing what uh, Ruckus 3 fans can kick up. <laughs> piss them off. Well, you know, when we become the lives of three people, it's really difficult to turn a life off. <laughs> um, that was the longest absence, right, we've been in two years. That was like yeah. six weeks. Yeah, that was about six weeks of absence uh, due to Halloween and, uh, well, you know. <laughs> it was wonderful. God, I got a lot of stuff done. Yeah, I, I think we should quit, actually. Think we should take more extended absences in the future. I think that's a great idea. You know, maybe we should just go to do one podcast a month. So we're gonna skip uh, the skunk dick of the week. Let's just give it to Glenn Beck or the Pope or Mims Carter. <laughs> I don't fucking care. <laughs> well, uh, we could always give it to the dude that's using a Chinese IP address to attack your wife. <laughs> <laughs> What's the matter, little fucker? You, you you don't have enough balls to actually use the IP address of where you're at? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe we have a strong Chinese following. Yes, yes, and they speak very fluent English and listen to our podcast quite religiously. I can are, are quite violent. Yes. Violent <laughs> Against <Chinese>. helpless women. <laughs> uh, but you want to do some iTunes reviews, right? Yes, yes. I want to do uh, some iTunes reviews, mostly because of the one entitled Listener 11. And uh, basically, they gush about how Charlie's a plethora of anthropological and literary backgrounds toward disproving blah, blah, blah. ANNs are hilarious. And then it gets to me. <laughs> it says... I, for one, find myself ruffled by Leighton's derogatory comments about women, for which I am still listening for a retraction. You're going to be waiting for a really long time. Yeah. You remember uh, that <laughs> You remember that little skeleton picture that I posted? That's going to be this dude waiting. It should be captioned, <laughs> waiting for Leighton's retraction. All right. Now, we all know you're a man, because uh, no woman would do such a thing, because... She, her hands would be wet with dishwater and she would destroy the computer. So let me point out something for you. Chivalry is dead for a reason. Women can stick up for themselves. They've got balls now. It figuratively. So. <laughs> <laughs> what? I'm just pointing out that I'm, this dude in his basement doesn't need to stick up for women. They can do it just fine themselves. I'm impressed that he isolates or she isolates the derogatory comments about women in isolation of all of your other derogatory comments about Thai children, uh, blacks, baby jokes, uh, but those heterosexist okay. comments. Apparently those don't ruffle her feathers, but, uh, you know, the, the women comments. <laughs> that does it. Well, that, that's because I have just been given a green light by Hypo Electron. Oh, my God, I know who this is. It's really? a girl, and she sent us an email. Really? Yeah. Okay. In that case, scratch the man part. Uh, you should stick up for yourself more. You're a woman. Okay. That didn't make any sense whatsoever. It wasn't supposed to. Let's move on to love it like a fat kid loves cake. 
<laughs> that that is a great uh, title for a review. It's a great podcast, not just for atheists, but for anyone interested in religion or history in general. These guys are smart, insightful, and well read. Even Leighton. <laughs> Thanks for that shout out. <laughs> Even Leighton. Well. Now, when she says well-read, you do mean, like, comic books and stuff, right? Right, of course. Yeah. Well, should we get to the subject of this podcast? We doing Haunting in Connecticut this time? Well, no, we, we've decided to basically fuck our fans once more, so we're going to focus in on the Episcopal per- Church, if I could say it. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> the Episcopal Church? The Episcopal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, maybe we shouldn't take a break. This podcast sucks. Well, that's mostly because of you. We are actually going to do kind of a lead-in to the Real Proposition 8 podcast. Uh, We're going to highlight the um, selected episodes in the history of LDS political involvement. Yeah. Now, actually, before we hop into that, I actually did some research here about churches who are for and against gay marriage, and it's kind of surprising because uh, there are seven churches for gay marriage, which are the American Baptist churches, of course, the Pacific Southwest, the Episcopal, the Evangelical Lutherans, the Judaism, the Reform and Reconstructionists, Presbyterian, blah, blah, blah. But the ones that really surprised me that were against it were, uh, were like Buddhism and Hinduism. They're sitting on the fence and they're arguing about which way to go on gay marriage. It, it just really shocked me that these two churches would would actually have any problem with gay marriage. Yeah, well, what is their problem with gay marriage? Well, uh, uh, to the Buddhist teachings, there are ten non-virtuous deeds, and one of them is sexual misconduct. And so you got a lot of Buddhists who are sitting here saying that uh, gays and having sex is sexual misconduct, and therefore not with Buddhist teachings. With the Hinduism, I don't know why, but there are some who actually point out that the Kama Sutra describes homosexual behavior. But, uh, yeah, these two churches were the ones that really surprised me as to being the ones who sat on the fence about the whole thing. Huh. I wonder if Buddhists condemn all the immoral animals that are engaging in homosexual misconduct. You fuckers better kingdom. leave our goddamn penguins alone. Uh, okay. Okay, can, now, can, now can you we, can go into your research. That's all the we, research I did. Can we move on to the actual <laughs> point of the podcast as hey, that lead was, into Proposition 8? That was kind of pointy. All right. Um, Jesus. Uh, now, <laughs> you've totally fucked my train of thought. <laughs> well, I'm good all at right. fucking things. The LDS Church, actually, um, the involvement in political issues is not a new phenomenon. This has been going on nearly since day one of the LDS Church. Um, very soon after they were um, organized on, was it, April 6, 1830? Yeah. Uh, in the history of the church, book 6, uh, page 289, I think, they said that um, <laughs> before the church was large enough uh, to, quote, man a farm or meet a woman with a milk pail, uh, this is from Sidney Rigdon, <laughs> non-Mormons were uh, already accusing them of wanting, quote, to upset the government. Uh, so this is, you know, early, early on in the church history, and and co- probably the the root of this is Joseph Smith uh, was interested in not only making a kind of a spiritual kingdom, 
but he was also interested in making a temporal or political kingdom here on Earth, right? Oh, yeah. The kingdom both of him Zion. And jo- or both Joseph Smith and uh, Brigham Young both tried in politics, so... Yeah, the kingdom of Zion. They wanted to make the, the perfect kind of just city uh, or just society. Um, and they, they made uh, lots of experiments into that. Uh, and the problem was that they would they would vote essentially as a block. They would vote uh, because the prophet would essentially tell them what to do. Here's what I believe on this, and you know if the prophet says it, well, that's the same thing as God saying it. So why would you uh, go against God's will? And so they'd all vote the same way. And this pissed off their neighbors because <laughs> suddenly all these Mormons are getting into office or the people who are pro-Mormon were getting into office. Everyone else is getting kicked out. That caused a lot of problems in Missouri, which was actually declared by Joseph Smith as Zion, and the place where, you know, was it Adam on Diamond, where Christ would come again, and they yeah, had a big meeting. That's actually uh, one of the reasons why my parents have just moved out there, is because right. this was believed to be where the Garden of Eden was, this is believed to be where where Jesus is going to come back, and uh, the amount of bullshit piled onto that story is just astonishing. Yeah, so they're essentially trying to save themselves a trip from the second coming when it uh, they'll be there beforehand, right? Yeah, which we already brought up earlier, where my uh, I was raised to believe that when the second coming of Jesus comes, we will actually be pushing handcarts and everybody will be <laughs> moving towards Missouri to meet Jesus. So, of course, of course, <laughs> of course they all in Missouri. Yeah, actually, they were uh, lots of tensions in Missouri. Eventually. They kind of were forcibly expelled uh, from Missouri with that uh, notorious Mormon extermination order by Governor Box. <laughs> <laughs> but don't worry, they found a new Zion. Right, so they start Nauvoo um, in Illinois. They get their own charter this time. They, 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 uh, they learned, um, <laughs> proving that even <laughs> religious people can learn from prior mistakes. They can be taught. Uh, so they got their own charter, which actually incorporated uh, um, the right to form a militia so that they not only governed themselves, but they actually could enforce it with their own militia. And, of course, this was under uh, Joseph Smith, right? And so he's uh, gaining more political power, and this, again, threatens people even inside the city of Nauvoo. People don't like the fact that all this political and uh, theocratic power was concentrated in the, the form of one man. And along the side, of course, you've got the whole secret polygamy thing going on. So yeah. Now, I wonder why uh, they would be thrown out of a couple states. Um, obviously, just because everybody hates Mormons. Yeah, well, we haven't talked about the Danite band either, which is probably a podcast in itself. There's a group of Mormons who went around um, kind of in revenge for perceived insults, and, and uh, they formed an informal militia, and kind of they were the right hand of Joseph Smith and... We can throw them in with the Mountain Meadows Massacre. <laughs> right, we had to seriously do a podcast on that. Uh, anyway, um, a couple of disaffected uh, Mormons who, uh, the, the laws, I think, among them, um, who were approached by Joseph Smith in order to start polygamy, you know, for themselves, and they were shocked by it. Anyway, they, they started a newspaper called the Nauvoo Expositor, and uh, uh, they were... How do I put it? Revealing that uh, Joseph Smith was engaging in these things. <laughs> so what? They're... Fanny Elger? No, no, she's just an acquaintance. <laughs> right, he's got no history of this behavior. Uh, this time, I think he's married to about thirty women, um, if not more. Anyway, this is 1844. Uh, Joseph Smith, by the way, 
talk about political involvement, was running for president at the time. <laughs> and how well did he do in those polls? We'll never know because he was killed during his uh, presidential campaign. But as a little aside, before we get to the Nauvoo Expositor, I found some of his um, <laughs> oh, political <God>. platform. <laughs> oh, please. Please. <laughs> so so this is uh, part of his political platform here. Um, to hold the union of the states as the basis of their peace and happiness, to support the Constitution, which is the cement of the union, as well in its limitations as in its authorities, to respect the rights and authorities reserved to the states and to the people, to avoid the slightest interference with the rights of conscience or the functions of religion, so wisely exempted from civil jurisdiction, to preserve in their full energy the other salutary provisions in behalf of private and personal rights and of the freedom of the press. Well, that's very interesting. Um, yeah, didn't he throw the press out? As on Joseph Smith's orders, <laughs> a mob went through and destroyed the press, the printing press, threw it out of the second window of the Nauvoo Expositor and destroyed it. Um, those charges actually led to his uh, eventual martyrdom and death uh, because uh, of the interfering with the freedom of the press, right? He was uh, brought to Carthage, Illinois, and eventually killed. So, you know, freedom of the press, insofar it doesn't piss Joseph Smith off. It's okay, as long as you don't have, uh, like, you know, you can see Joseph Smith standing up and saying, look, some things are true that are not very useful. <laughs> Let's just smash the printing press. It's all fine and dandy unless you write that Mormon propaganda. Then yeah. it's bad. Joseph Smith also wanted to reduce Congress by half. Uh, he wanted to... Petition your state legislatures to pardon every convict in their several penitentiaries, blessing oh them as they go and saying to them in the name of the Lord, go thy way and sin no more. <laughs> oh my fucking God, is he serious? He wants to uh, let go rapist yeah. murderers. <laughs> yep. Petition also ye goodly inhabitants of the slave states, your legislators to abolish slavery by the year 1850 or now and save the abolitionists from re reproach and ruin, infamy and shame. Um, so he was uh, a pro-abolition of slavery. Um, he abolished the, the practice in the Army and Navy of trying men by court-martial for desertion. If a soldier Marine runs away, send him his wages with this instruction that his country will never trust him again. He has forfeited his honor. Okay, um, so that would never work. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck waging a war. Um, yeah, we're, we're going to war. Wait, where's half my army going? Hey, guys, all right, send them their wages and a letter. Uh, seriously? <laughs> yeah, amazing, isn't it? Uh, so anyway, Joseph Smith was killed, <laughs> and the Mormons decide that, you know what, um, we've tried trying to form little societies inside of the United States uh, under pe other people's authority. We tried it under our own authority. That didn't work. Let's get the hell out of the United States and uh, form it under our, our own authority without anyone else anywhere around. So they, they traveled out to what, at that time, was uh, kind of a remote corner of Mexico and established uh, their own little territory of Deseret. Now, is, is this the true Zion this time, or are we still waiting for the true Zion? <laughs> true Zion's back in Missouri. This is a temporary Zion. Oh, of course. <laughs> uh, of course, Brigham Young installed himself as governor, right? Of course. Yeah, that worked out real well. Yeah, uh, they established the territory of Utah uh, in 1850, and two years later, they revealed the doctrine of polygamy uh, to the public. Yeah, 
You know what I love is no one in the LDS Church ever mentions the fact that Brigham Young actually put together a secret police of Mormons, and they would go around and they would search your house for contraband, and they would force you to go to church because he actually saw the people not being as faithful or as believing as they should be. Why is it no one ever brings this up when, when he's the governor? I don't know. Never heard about it myself. Is that oh. kind of what happened to the Danites? They just start turning them, because they don't have anybody else to piss off, so they'll just turn themselves in like an well, SS. It, it, was, uh, it was kind of uh, happened just before the Meadow, Mountain Meadows Massacre. It was one of the build-up of tensions because there was a, there was a lot of, uh, of just pressure from the outside world, and so Brigham Young wanted to make sure that everybody was following the letter of the gospel. And so he, actually, he started sending people around, searching houses, making sure that they didn't have anything that was contraband or forcing people to go to church. It was Interesting. really kind of funny. Well, polygamy caused lots and lots of problems. Um, with the space of a couple of years, uh, Colonel Edward Steptoe was sent in 1854 to, to replace Brigham Young as governor because it wasn't really upholding the law of the territory, which is you know subservient to the law of the United States. He was sent with a battalion of soldiers, um, but he did not deem it prudent to assume the office. Uh, and he wintered in Salt Lake City, and he resigned his post and went with his command to California. At around the same time, um, a bunch of federal judges were being harassed and uh, forced by threats of violence to leave Utah. Uh, because I think it was the Reynolds Act at this time it was anti-polygamy, but you couldn't enforce it because all the federal judges in Utah were Mormon. <laughs> Uh, so they tried to replace them. That didn't work. Um, and all the uh, federal judges were, who weren't Mormon were kicked out. In uh, 1856, a mob of armed Mormons uh, instigated by sermons from the heads of the church broke into the courtroom of the United States District Judge and compelled him to adjourn his court. Soon afterward, all the United States officers, with the exception of the Indian agent, <laughs> were forced to flee from the territory. I mean, they actually kicked everyone out. I mean, this is almost an act of uh, sedition here. Yeah, and this is also one of the one of the lead-ins to the Mountain Meadows massacre. It's funny how this all leads into it because because they're throwing everybody out. They're they're actually preparing for war. And right. the, the Republicans in 1856, is just four years after polygamy was made public, ran on the platform uh, to rid the United States of the twin relics of barbarism, slavery, and polygamy. <laughs> <laughs> so when Buchanan got uh, uh, installed as president, he actually sent a United States Army to Utah to um, supersede Brigham Young in the office of governor. Uh, he sent a military force. So um, they were threatening again to destroy the temple, I think, and, and disenfranchise the church and, and wage war against Utah. So Brigham Young, seeing the writing on the wall resigned as governor, and they installed a non-Mormon governor, and they replaced the federal courts. Um, but the deal was that Brigham Young wouldn't face trial for treason or send any jail time, because that would probably have caused an uprising as well. Yeah, yeah well, you can't have a, a prophet, the ear of God, thrown in prison again, because then they'll start expecting, oh, who's going to kill him this time? Right, so things got worse and worse as... Uh, uh, the Mormons continued to defy the the law of the land, even though it's one of their articles of faith <laughs> to obey. Um, yeah, which they all shy, shy away from if you bring up that fact. Right. 
the uh, Edmonds Act, I think, the Edmonds-Tucker Act, and uh, was passed disenfranchising the church, um, and actually, I believe, making a loyalty to uh, loyalty oath necessary before you would assume office. Uh, you'd have to say that you know you don't believe or practice polygamy before you could accept um, any office in uh, Utah. Was that with a wink afterwards, or <laughs> no, I mean, they were serious? They disenfranchised the church, uh, so they the the church sued uh, under you know the idea that this is our religious freedom that you're abridging, and the uh, Supreme Court decided, uh, look, we um, don't have any problem with you guys having a religious opinion, but we can certainly regulate the hell out of your practices. So uh, when that happened, conveniently enough, Wilford Woodruff had a uh, revelation to abandon polygamy. Yeah, it's awful nice that that came right at that point. Uh, God awesome. must have really kept his ear on the politics. Yeah, well, you know, it's uh, they said that we gave this up, a belief that we've held all of our life to be necessary for our salvation. Um, it's amazing that they give that up, or that God would not uh, keep his promises. He, he said, you know, I will fight your battles for you, right? What yeah. is God? What is the United States government to God? Yeah, once a bring these... uh, or once again, bring it on. Bring yeah. the armies. God right. is at your back. Why would you back down, you little pansy? These people don't really actually believe in their religion. You know, deep down inside, when they're pushed, they don't actually believe in their religion. Otherwise, they would have fought the government tooth and nail, and, and clearly would have lost. <laughs> <laughs> they knew it anyway. That took them out of politics for quite some time. Uh, I think their next foray into into like serious foray into politics, other than Ezra Taft Benson, I, I believe, being Secretary of Agriculture um, under I can't remember who Truman or something. Uh, was the ERA, Equal Rights Amendment. Equal Rights Amendment, uh, <laughs> this is kind of a precursor to Proposition 8. Is that for everybody but blacks and women? <laughs> Equal Rights Amendment uh, said the following. Section 1, this was in 1972. Equality of rights under the law shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of sex. Uh, section 2. The Congress shall have the power to enforce by appropriate legislation the provisions of this article. Section 3, the, this amendment shall take effect two years after the date of ratification. So basically this amendment said, don't discriminate uh, against women. That, that, that is essentially the entirety of this amendment, the Equal Rights Amendment. But blacks are okay to discriminate against. Uh, well, you know, this is coming on the heels of the civil rights, so they've just worked out. Um, although the Mormon Church hasn't worked that out yet. Yeah, the Mormon Church <clears throat> is still denying the priesthood. So, women, okay, we'll we'll allow you some rights. Blacks, <laughs> well, not true. <laughs> uh, initially, it was very popular. It came very close to getting the the necessary thirty eight states to ratify. But then, it, uh, as the um, opponents started getting organized and gathering steam, fewer and fewer states would sign on to this. It seems to me inarguable. Well, how how could you possibly stand against this, right? You're just yeah. basically saying don't discriminate against women. Treat them equally. But As long as they do the dishes. So the anti-ERA opponents, these the guys who, who don't like the ERA, um, they really kind of, they didn't want the changing roles of women and men, you know, uh, <laughs> to... <laughs> to change the structure of the family. They were afraid that it would lead to, you know, uh, homosexual Anarchy. marriage. and Right. I mean, women I mean, no longer do the dishes, my God, men would have to. 
Yeah, I mean, this is the funny thing about it, is anytime there is any sort of change within society, you have those people who are quite content with keeping their women in line, keeping them quiet in the corner, and suddenly they start thinking, wow, what if I actually have to listen to her? Uh, <laughs> what? <laughs> That's part of the rights, isn't it? She gets to talk, right? Uh, so... <laughs> The Utah legislature met in 1973. This actually prompted the Mormon church leaders to uh, organize rapidly uh, into the anti-ERA movement. In 1976, church leaders described the ERA as, quote, a moral issue with many disturbing ramifications for women and for the family as individual members as a whole. Uh, you know, you're right. You're absolutely right, church leaders. Um <laughs> Equality has very disturbing ramifications. Jesus age Christ. You cannot allow women to be equal. Well, I mean, in the LDS Church, what's the woman's role? Once she gets up to heaven, her role is to have dozens and dozens and dozens of children and populate planets. That that's is her, a woman's role. That's her role on earth, too, to have as many kids as humanly possible. That's her role good. is to be subservient to her husband as her husband is subservient to God. And I guess that is threatening to the core family relationship of the LDS church. I can see that. You well, can't I mean, make them this equal. Is, this is the same thing they're teaching in Sunday school every week, even to this day. I mean, women's role, really, and this is one of the reasons why I have never really been comfortable dating an LDS woman, because all they've been taught is my role is in the house to raise a family. And it irritates the hell out of me because I look at them and I think you have so much potential in you. Why don't you go out and actually follow your dream? Right. I, I need to suppress my own wants and desires in favor of my man and make my man happy. Yeah. Um, that, that, is, that is essentially LDS teaching regarding females as a whole. And I've seen it time and time again. I mean, I've seen friends who have gone in and talked to their bishop about how their husband uh, doesn't help out, how they mistreat them. And the bishop turns around and says to them, well, what can you do to improve the situation? <laughs> President Spencer Kimball, his prophet at the time, said the ERA would strike at the family, humankind's basic institution. Uh, so what happened was... Ward Bishop solicited donations to support the anti-ERA effort. Speeches against the amendment were deemed appropriate at all church meetings. Church buildings were used as anti-ERA literature <laughs> distribution centers. Does this sound familiar? Huh, I, I wonder where this is leading to. Uh, as official voice of the church, the Ensign uh, published articles clarifying the church's position, speeches about ratification, right, of course, given in general conference and, and wards and, and stakes. Officially, policy statements that left no room for misinterpretation. Um, so these, you know, bishops, people to read these things in, in classes and in weekly meetings. In but not only classes. Usually, when they are pushing something this far, they have entire lessons about right. it in classes. It's not just something yep. they read. They have entire lessons about why they are supporting this and why God is telling right. them to sacraments. What's the relief society meetings? Relief society, everything. Uh, gospel doctrine. They they hammer it into the minds of those that follow them. In March of 1980, this is eight years after the ERA was proposed. The church is still hammering on this stuff. It, it perched. It published uh, a document entitled "The Church and the Proposed Equal Rights Amendment: A Moral Issue." <laughs> now equality is immoral. <laughs> yes, yes, but. 
in the 1980s, they've at least given blacks the priesthood at this point. So we are making headway. In the same year that they gave blacks a priesthood, um, active Mormon Sonia Johnson testified in 1978 in support of the ERA before the Senate Subcommittee on Constitutional Rights. This pissed off Senator Orrin Hatch, who was, of course, opposed to equal rights for women. Um, she became uh, kind of a nationwide sensation. She caught a lot of media attention, and uh, she was excommunicated in 1979. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I couldn't have seen that coming. <laughs> Faithful Mormon member all of her life until she opens her fucking mouth, and she's excommunicated a year later. Now, did you actually look up and see if she ever got back into the LDS church? I mean, no. right now, are they supporting women's rights? I mean, I would assume not, but... I don't know. I suppose, you know, after a while, after a, an appropriate period of repentance, if she wanted to come back, they'd allow her back, but I, don't, I have no information on that. So that's um, kind of, in a nutshell, highlights of, of LDS church involvement in political issues, and that anti-ERA really provided the model for the anti- gay rights stuff that followed. Yeah, it, it really kind of taught the church how they should go about doing things and how they should stay out of the limelight because they have a long history of being retards when it comes to politics. So, <laughs> moving from the 80s to the 90s, I believe uh, Hawaii was their first battlefield, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Hawaii, it was 1988 that they really started getting in touch with Hawaii and putting their plan into action. In 1988, it's kind of a, a bit of brilliance, I have to admit, but uh, the church contracts this Hawaiian marketing agency, Hill & Knowlton, and the reason why they did this is because they wanted to use a non-mainland marketing agency to keep the name of the church completely separated from the legislative efforts that this firm was supposed to do. This is very smart because they had previously polled Hawaii's uh, electorate and found out that they had a, an unfavorable approval rating. <laughs> so what do they do? Uh, well, we can't really improve our approval rating because, you know, we're, we're idiots. We're morons. Yeah. Um, and nothing's going to change that. So we'll just stay out of, <laughs> we'll stay out of the limelight. <laughs> yeah, like we said, it's a, it's a stroke of genius, and we don't know how the LDS Church came up with it. They probably hired someone to think for them at this point. That's, that's my guess. It but, is a massive corporation. It's a massive bureaucracy. It doesn't come from the top down. This stuff doesn't come from the top down. This probably comes from the bottom up in terms of some low-level marketer uh, who decides these things. Yeah. They all claim this is inspiration from above, right? Uh, but the truth is it's a massive fucking corporation, and these ideas most likely come from below, which is probably the marketing department. Yeah. My question of all for the religious, if, if this was from God, then why do the LDS church and the LDS people vote on it? Well, I mean, seriously. If it's from God, why would you hide the origin of... <laughs> of your political <laughs> movement. Can you imagine a prophet in the Old Testament saying, <clears throat> Thus saith the Lord Baal. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, Moses, you think we should hire that guy to do our talking for us? <laughs> Let's get a pagan to be our front runner of this stuff. <laughs> We're going to move all these other more popular churches in to 
you know, increase our visibility. It's absolutely fucking ridiculous. Well, I mean, it, it was a stroke of genius, but it's apparent that they don't believe that God can protect them and that God will do what's right by them. Otherwise, just like back when uh, they needed to throw Brigham Young out of the governorship, everything else like that, God should have protected them, but they are hiding from man. It, it's, it's interesting. It's, they're highly, highly aware of their public perception. They're very acutely aware that everyone uh, or most people think that they're idiots and morons. Um, but at the same time, they're extremely pragmatic, right? So they yeah. accept that. Let's 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 accept that and move on. What do we do in light of this fact? Yep, and let's hide behind is, someone else's skirts. Right. They they hide themselves. They hide their and it's a double-edged sword too because they know that if uh they put themselves out there and it becomes very very unpopular, they'll get backlash for it. So this serves two purposes. Yeah. And uh, the amazing thing is is they actually thought they could get away with it. I mean, right. literally thought they could hide in the shadows this entire time and that information would not be leaked. They got away with it as far as it was successful in Hawaii. That's true. Remarkably successful. That's true, but they got too big for their britches once they started moving to California. Right. <laughs> well, moving back to Hawaii, though, it was uh, December 1990 that, that really started egging on the church. Now, what happened then is there were three same-sex couples who went to apply for a marriage license, and uh, they were refused. And so they filed a suit, and this became known as Bear versus Mike. And the whole reason why they filed the suit is because under Hawaiian Constitution, any laws that discriminate by sex are forbidden. So what happens is, is September 1991... You got Circuit Court Judge Kevin Klein, who dismisses the case, so they bring it to the Supreme Court, and on the 5th of May, 1993, so three years later, the Hawaii Supreme Court rules that the state's refusal to issue marriage licenses constitutes sexual discrimination under Hawaiian law. And they, they state, this is a very interesting statement, they state that... Um, the discrimination may only be practiced if the state can demonstrate a compelling public interest in denying marriage to same-sex couples. And uh, that's where you got uh, everybody really getting involved. In fact, you've got Apostle Boyd K. Packer, who uh, gets a meeting together of all church coordinating council, and he refers to homosexuality as one of the three major social problems that represent a danger to its members. So, I mean, you can see that as soon as the Hawaiian Supreme Court said, hey, if the public interest is uh, more towards denying marriage, then yes. And then all of a sudden you got Boyd K. Packer, who's jumping on the bandwagon right away. On the same exact day, he's calling a council about this. So they're following this <clears throat> very closely. And it always intrigues me that these people are not content uh, to just preach from the pulpit uh, to their own members about um, what to do or what not to do, what we consider moral, what we consider immoral. Uh, they want the entire state of Hawaii, for example, which Mormons are a very small percentage of, yeah. uh, to uh, be governed by Mormon principles, right? <laughs> 
Yeah, that, that's Fuck something you. that has just astounded me. Believe what you want to believe. Leave the rest of us alone. Why are they sticking their noses where it doesn't belong? Because they can. They got lots <laughs> and lots of cash. And lots of people who, on top of that cash, would be willing to organize, volunteer, and put more cash in there. Yeah, I'm thinking it was probably his family that has him hating gays. Of course, what kind of family do you have that gets the name of Packer? What was your job that your last name became Packer? Um, Meatpacking industry? No. Fudge packing, I'm sure, but no. <laughs> Male prostitute? <laughs> anyway, I think we've killed that joke. So, uh... <laughs> On the 14th of February, we are talking Valentine's Day of 1994. Very, very nice, by the way. The First Presidency issues another statement, and I'm only going to read part of it, but this is, this is what it says. We encourage members to appeal to legislators, judges, and other government officials to preserve the purposes and sanctity of marriage between a man and a woman and to reject all efforts to give legal authorization or other official approval or support to marriages between persons of the same gender. I think this is the only real push that they do in the public, and it's only to their members. Right, right, right. They don't want to make any, they don't want to appear in any talk shows, any news um, programs or anything in the public, because that would be seen as uh, outsiders coming in and mingling with their politics. In Utah, they can do that all they want because uh, LDS politics are Utah politics. Um, that's been made clear time and time again, um, but not in Hawaii. No, and see, it, it's much like what they did in California where you, you get the, the Salt Lake Mormons who have no idea what the church is pushing in California or even in Hawaii. I'm, even when I was living there, I had no idea what the LDS church was doing over there. Right, and well, they do a really good job of hiding it. Um, they actually formed a coalition, and they have various memos going back and forth about what to do and, and who to front it. What they want is a, a spokesperson who is preferably non-Mormon, a uh, attractive um, mother, basically, an attractive younger mother figure um, for their front. And they got almost all they wanted from that, um, except that she was Mormon, but they downplayed that. <laughs> never so, mentioned uh, it. No, no, they never do. No, but you're going to love this next part. So what what do you think the church's next move would be on this front? I mean, we've still got the, the Bear versus Lewin, or it was changed later to Bear versus Mike, but we still got this case going on. What do you think the church's next step would be? Raise money. No, no. Actually, uh, the church, uh, under the spokesperson, Miss Napua Baker, uh, they announced that they have decided to petition the court to be admitted as co-defendants with the state. And uh, this was to protect the freedom of religion, to solemnize marriages between a man and a woman under Hawaiian law. So suddenly they're siding with the church. And their statement is, there are times when certain moral issues become so compelling that the churches have a duty to make their feelings known. Right. Um, you know, like such times as fucking women over, or fucking blacks over, or fucking gays over. This has just become so compelling of an interest that they have to make their feelings known. Yeah, yeah. Well, 
the courts rightly basically looked at the church and said, uh, what right do you have to stand in here? And they put together a list. They said, one, they feared that the state would revoke its minister's licenses to perform marriages. Is this a recurring theme with everybody who's religious? You don't have to marry gay people if you don't want to. You're not going to have a gun to your head being forced to. They want, um, that's not so much, I mean, that's, they'll put that out as a reason, but basically they, they want to be bigots but not called out on their bigotry. Hmm. They don't want, you know, to, to be any social pressure because they've met that before with blacks. <laughs> they've been down this road before. <laughs> they don't want any social pressure pressuring them into uh, saying um, unhateful things, right? Like, you know, oh, tolerate gays. Well, you hit right on their second point as to the second reason why they should be in. The church would become subject to lawsuits charging discrimination when its ministers refuse to perform same-sex marriages. So right there, they blatantly state that they are afraid of the backlash when they say no. Right. And lawsuits would cost us money, for God's sakes. (laughs) That one really hurts. Yeah, yeah. I I think my all-time favorite is their third reason for wanting to get involved in the case. It's because the church could help the attorney general's office to present a more complete case than would otherwise be done, given the limited time and resources available to the attorney general. Yeah, well, that doesn't give them any standing. (laughs) (laughs) So what would you do in this instance if you were the circuit court of Hawaii? They don't have standing to sue. They They don't have any standing. I'd say no. Yep, that's exactly what the judge said. He said they had no merit since nothing in the licensing law requires a minister to perform any marriage in behalf of the state it merely permits them to do so in harmony with religious practices and belief if they so choose. Right. I love how all this stuff is just imaginary. All these fears just exist in the heads of these people. Oh, my God. We might face discrimination lawsuits or, you know, quite possibly we might be thought of as bigots. <laughs> Yeah, but the church didn't go down without swinging. They appealed the decision, and in uh, January 1996, so eight months later or so, uh, they were rejected once again. And you want to know what the reason was? It was the same one given before. (laughs) You guys don't have any goddamn merit. You don't have any standing to sue. Yeah, yeah. Well, what's great is after that, uh, you have, well, actually not after, during, during that whole appeal process, you have Dallin Oaks, and uh, it's actually been recorded that he started writing an article on same-sex attraction in March of 1995, and then it was finally put out in the Enzyme on October 1995 as same-gender attraction. And the article points out the concept of homosexual or lesbian as a kind of person who is incompatible with LDS theology. So basically, they're just saying that, well, you know, this is fine with their church. If you are homosexual or lesbian, it doesn't go with their theology. That's fine and dandy for them to say. I just love that while they're appealing to the courts, they're writing this same-gender attraction article. So, yeah, basically says that uh, it's a sin, blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah, well... Surprise, surprise, uh, when they were denied in March of 1995 uh, to the case, 
suddenly you have uh, Utah's governor, Mike Levitt, who signs the first DOMA legislation, which uh, basically denies any difference or denies any same-sex marriages, and only between different sexes can it be done. Now, I want to point out um, the proclamation of the family. This came out uh, in 1995. Uh, read by President Gordon B. Hinckley as part of his message in the General Relief Society meeting held September 23, 1995, Salt Lake City, Utah. So this is very shortly after the events you're talking about. Yeah. So the proclamation of the family, uh, <clears throat> in part, reads, The first commandment that God gave to Adam and Eve pertained to their potential for parenthood as husband and wife. We declare that God's commandment for his children to multiply and replenish the earth remains in force. <laughs> We further declare that God has commanded that the sacred powers of procreation are to be employed only between man and woman, lawfully wedded as husband and wife. Well, you know what's interesting is that proclamation to the family came right after a decision from the Hawaiian legislator to re reword uh, the revised statute 572-1 to define marriage in terms of one man and one woman. Right. Now, very, very interesting is uh I didn't go over this in the Edmunds Tucker Act but when it had uh wended its way all throughout um the uh appeals process or this is the Edmunds Act um the Supreme Court in um supporting the Edmunds Act <coughs> uh said that um it is in the interest of the uh United States right mm -hmm. um it, nothing was more important in the founding of a self-governing commonwealth because these guys are a territory now, they're not a state, and they, they're say they're looking forward to becoming a state, and in order to do that, you got to uphold, uphold the laws. So nothing's more important than the founding of a self-governing commonwealth than quote the idea of family as consisting in and springing from the union for life of one man and one woman in the holy estate of matrimony. So because they're polygamous now, <laughs> <laughs> these words in 1885 were used against the Mormon Church. And uh -huh. now the Mormon Church is coming and saying, we support one man and one woman. Just a hundred years later. hundred and ten years later. Yeah, These well, it's a great totally market spin they put 180 degrees. Yeah. <laughs> and see, and, and that's the problem I have with the LDS Church, is if you supposedly have God by the ear, why the hell are you flip-flopping so much in your belief systems? Right. How could you, how could you make a, a doctrinal change like that so rapidly with these eternal principles, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, the interesting thing is, is right after the proclamation of the family, in November, you have the general authority, Lawrence C. Dunn, who appoints a Salt Lake City advertising executive and his wife to do months of volunteer work for the Hawaii's future today, which is actually... A, a front that they use to push this agenda. And the m more fascinating than even that is they began calling people on short-term missions to go and support the Hawaii's first, or excuse me, Hawaii's future today. Right. I never knew you could call somebody on a mission other than just trying to convert them. They were calling them to push this agenda. You can call them on missions forever you want. Brigham Young used to call people on missions just because he didn't like them. So we wanted to get them out of Salt Lake City. 
Well, Joseph Smith did that to get with their wives. Oh, right. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's a convenient time to fuck their wives. <laughs> yeah, your husband's away on a mission. I hear God telling me you must lie with me. Oh, right, exactly. That's got to be the greatest pickup line in the history of the world. <laughs> God. Um, yeah, you know, and, and this is very similar to uh, what Jesus Christ did. You know, he didn't form an apostleship in a church with 12 apostles, you know, him in the head, blah, blah, blah. What he did was he founded a front group <laughs> <laughs> called Judea's Future Today. Yeah. Uh, had nothing to do with Christianity or, or Judaism or anything like that. Um, he just founded a front group. Probably did a bunch of um, market research, market research, uh, focus group testing, and and all that stuff. <laughs> well, you know, had Jesus, what well, actually this makes sense. Jesus is learning from history. See, he was crucified right. because he didn't hide behind people, <laughs> and so now that he has the ear of the church, he's telling them how to do it properly. Listen, Ezra Taft Benson. Um, with your three remaining functioning neurons for the rest <laughs> just gone from because you're fucking 102 years old listen to me um, you're going to get yourself crucified if you don't hide behind a front group I know yes. this from personal experience and trust me they will bring back crucifixion just for you so let's hide <laughs> this is amazing amazing that a uh, organization of God would uh, do such a thing but you know changing times I guess yeah yeah exactly well a month after uh, they start calling people on these short-term missions, there's a, a report from the Governor's Commission on sexual orientation and the law. And this thing is more than 400 pages, and it concludes that the state of Hawaii has no compelling interest in refusing to recognize same-sex marriage. Of course it doesn't. Uh, it, it, the it, only it, compelling interest is not to be called a bigot. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, well... But it still happens, because they're still bigots. They just yeah. want to hide behind, uh, you know, public laws and that sort of thing. Yeah. We're just yeah, following well, the law of the land, you know, that, that we're not bigots. Yeah, yeah, they're following the, uh, what were those, not the 12 commandments, the 13... Fuck, I was a Mormon, why can't I remember? Articles of faith. Articles of faith, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> 13 commandments. 13 command. Well, that's uh, the LDS Church considers them commandments. In fact, yeah. they made me memorize them. And yeah, 11, 12, and 13 are um, uh, fuck with black people's rights, fuck with gay people's rights, and fuck with women's rights. That's 11, 12, and 13. Yeah. yeah. Thou shalt and, fuck with people's rights. <laughs> <laughs> and 14 is go back and read 12, thir- or 11, 12, and 13 again. <laughs> Those are the most important commandments. Spend lots of time and money. Right, and that this is what they do because this is. Um, you remember that uh, documentary we watched? That this is code word in the uh, temple. You know, donate your means and time. Yeah. Um, to to this stuff, and so you know, donations flooded in. People would, you know, they they do all this shit for free. They they work the phones for free. They go door to door. I mean, they'd even make little uh, videos on how not to appear Mormon. <laughs> it's just fucking believable. <laughs> Well, what's even more unbelievable is what actually happens in January and February of 1996. Now, you have the uh, Lawrence C. Dunnigan. He sends a letter to be read on all California wards, urging members to express their support for legislation against same-sex marriages. And, I mean, this is in California. I don't even know why they were attacking there. 
But on the same instance, they're using that group, Hill and Knowlton, to develop a plan on setting up Hawaii's future today. And they are given unlimited funds. The heads are given unlimited funds to develop and conduct the marriage campaign in Hawaii. And uh, they just start going out there and fucking with people. Now, the interesting thing is, is Hill and Knowlton are afraid for the potential repercussions from their other clients who include gay rights interests. So they give it up. They walk away from the church, and suddenly this woman, Linda Rosehill, who is a professional lobbyist, is offered unlimited funds to carry out this cross. And that includes her paycheck. So, you know, you wonder, the the IRS laws um, are on the books for tax exempt status. You're, <clears throat> as a charitable or nonprofit institution, or religious institution, you're granted tax exempt status so long as you don't endorse a candidate or um, spend a significant amount of your time involved in political um, lobbying, basically. So the the big problem is no one's defined significant. Yeah. This seems significant. If they give an unlimited amount of uh, money here, they're, you know, have yeah. all you want. Yeah, basically, you tell us what you need, and we'll get it to you. We'll get it to you. <laughs> yeah, that seems significant to me. Well, that, that's only because you and I are anti-Mormon. So correct. We're on Satan's side. <laughs> well, the repercussions for uh, this uh, this group being involved, Hill and Knowlton is uh, it's discovered that a national committee woman of the Hawaiian Democratic Party and her role in creating this this lobbying organization comes to light. And suddenly, Hawaii starts moving to replace her in the Democratic position. She fights it, of course. But in the next election, she loses on a 70-30 split of votes. Wow, she was crushed. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, it's interesting is... uh, the whole reason she lost was because of her covert work in creating this lobbying organization, of course, Hawaii's Future Today, and uh, it, it was considered completely unethical by her opponents, and rightfully so. Uh, how is that possibly unethical? I don't know. I, I, I think they may have been wrong in that instance. <laughs> Anytime you do something covert, you know you're doing something wrong. <laughs> <laughs> There's a reason you're doing it covertly. Otherwise, you just come out and, and admit it to everybody, right? Yeah. It's like uh, an, implicit, and it's implied that you're doing something wrong. <laughs> well, uh, what would you say to this action? So you've got Jack Hogue, and his LDS connections are highlighted in the media. And suddenly, he is replaced as the president of the church-owned Hawaii Reserves Bank. And the new president, Danny Ditto, is uh, the church's lawyer who supervised the marketing agency's work in planning and establishing the Hawaii's Future Today. And uh, the reports about the activities of Hawaii's Future Today in uh, the LDS-affiliated newspapers, such as Garden Island, they completely avoid mentioning the LDS origins and affiliation. So, I mean, just entirely. And the uh, the most fascinating thing is Jack Hogue was paid handsomely to step down from the church-owned Hawaiian Reserves Bank. Sure. Right. You, you know, you can't be an embarrassment to the church. 
Yeah. yeah. And there's a lot of conjecture that, that the reason why this change happened is because uh, they want to perpetuate that Hawaii's future today is a grassroots movement, that it isn't guided by this conglomeration of people. People are so goddamn gullible. It's amazing. Um of course it's a grassroots movement. It's just, you know, spontaneously in Hawaii, a bunch of people come and they hate gays. <laughs> and they have, you know, all these funds to run these advertisements and, and uh, you know, unlimited funds and, and uh, manpower to do all this stuff. You know, totally grassroots. Yeah, yeah. Now, <laughs> it, it surprises me that anybody who is in Hawaii or, or even in California at the time of everything going on didn't do their own research and didn't start looking into this and going well how did this get started why is this in our faces so much I mean, in hindsight it's easy to say that um, when you're in the thick of things uh, in a campaign season you know campaign ads are flying back and forth um, the structure isn't such that you know you jump in and figure out who it is it, it, they, you have to say who paid for the ad but nothing else You'd hope that some curious journalist would jump in there, but, uh, you know, I don't know. You know what's funny is, uh, so Hawaiians Future Today, uh, there's a $1,000 donation cap on any money you can receive by a political action group. Well, uh, <laughs> they, uh, they reported receiving $31,000 in donations uh, before uh, the 11th of May, 1996. Yep. And one donation was in the amount of $29,000. So uh, how do you think they got around that? With sneaky accountants. <laughs> yeah, well, it didn't work them out too well with the uh, California Ethics Commission. Of course, they should have been slapped a lot harder than they did. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's it's amazing that they'll um, obey, honor, and sustain the law until it becomes inconvenient for them. And then fuck the law. You know, they're mere inconveniences and... Uh, <clears throat> instead of being honest and forthright and upstanding and all these things they preach in general conference, they um, do what they want and hope they don't get caught. Or if they do get caught, they won't have to pay a whole lot of money. <laughs> yeah, well, take Hawaiian's future today, for example. On, uh, on the 9th of May, 1996, they actually start running political ads. And some of these cost more than $1,000. And so suddenly you have uh, complaints coming against them that indicate that the ads are in violation of Hawaii's regulations in governing the spending and political campaigns, and they quickly shove it under the rug. And they assert that it doesn't plan to involve itself in the lobbying or campaigning for the candidates. Right, for the candidates, because it's a proposition. So, so their idea is that since it's a proposition instead of a candidate itself, that uh, the law doesn't apply. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty it. much their standpoint right there. I love it. <laughs> well, in June of 1996, uh, you've got the LDS headquarters, and they actually acknowledge that they have been calling married couples towards this political action and advertising. And they've been paying particular attention to those with advertising expertise, and they've been shipping them off to the Hawaiians Future Today. So my guess is somewhere around June there, they were getting caught red-handed, and so suddenly they had to say, oh yeah, we've been doing it. Right, sure. They don't, you know, it doesn't really 
matter to them because, as in all these campaigns, the damage is already done. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know how we were just talking about how there was a problem with them running those ads because they were endorsing people? Yeah. Well, in uh, on the 11th of July, you have Jack Hogue, who is the co-chair of Hawaii's Future Today, who's making public statements that uh, the Hawaii's Future Today would be endorsing and backing political candidates. Oh, wow. So... Uh, was, is that a flip-flop, or is that just unfortunate uh, that he was recorded saying something like that? Oh, no, no. He said it several times. It was a complete flip-flop. So they went from saying, hey, our campaigns and our advertisements are just fine because we aren't backing candidates. And then suddenly, on the 11th of July, so we're talking just a couple months later, he comes out and he says, yes. Not only are we going to endorse, but we're going to back these political candidates. Wow. Um, so when it's convenient for them to say one thing, they'll say that. When when it's convenient for them for the truth to come out, they'll say that. Yeah. Yeah, well, they're, uh, the, the Campaign Spending Commission, uh, they send a follow-up letter right after that, and uh, it indicates that... Uh, because it understands that it believed that Hawaii's future today did not intend or plan to engage in this activity, that such a political organization would it not require their registration as a political organization. Up to this point, they weren't even registered as a political organization. Huh. And so once again, it goes back to the fact that they've been playing on this, this grassroots movement when it's apparent to everybody else that uh, that it's not. Even the campaign spending commission is coming to them saying, hey, if you're going to engage in this and if, if you're going to be backing these people, you need to be a political organization. Like everyone else, right. All right, so um, in in general, it seemed like at the beginning Hawaii was content to, um, to pass legislation or, or leave it be uh, to allow gay marriage to occur, right? Yeah, well, um, according to the governor's report of 400 pages, they had no interest in this, and the spearhead of this is the LDS Church. And that's that's basically what I have been trying to hammer into people's head is, is just the shadiness behind their actions and the fact that they are willing to throw gobs of money at this without even blinking an eye. Yeah, I mean, the hypocrisy... Um based on their own ideals of honesty and transparency and democracy and uh, all this stuff, um, fairness and justice, for God's sakes. Yeah. Um, the hypocrisy is, is unbelievable. So what happened in Hawaii? Well, the LDS Church won. Not only did they win, but they got the, uh, the proposition passed where uh, same-sex marriage is not allowed. And this is the jumping point. This is what emboldened them to say, hey, look across the waters there. We have the same situation going on in California. So they had a great success with a strategy of hiding in the shadows, getting other people to do their dirty work. And essentially what they did was they created a, a coalition, in quotes, of, of churches, I guess, um, uh, to hide behind. They were one member of a, a group of churches, but they did all the funding, right? I mean, it's yeah. exactly the same as the coalition that went into Iraq. <laughs> there was a yes. bunch of, of, no, no, of no. That countries that had signed on. That was that... a grassroots movement. Into it. 
but it was funded, you know, entirely by the United States, essentially, yeah. and spearheaded by the United States. Um, so th- this, um, you know, they're like, wow, uh, impressive what we were able to accomplish there. Jesus they, taught them well in hiding in the shadows. They cast about and said, you know, the next state, according to our research, is California. That's It's ripe for this initiative. So let's turn our focus to California. And that's where we'll pick up next week uh, with um, a brief history. And, and we'll spend next week really discussing uh, the judge's ruling as it stands right now on Proposition 8. And I swear to all of our listeners, I will do my best to make sure that Charlie doesn't tell any gay jokes. I think um, our listeners would just appreciate you maybe shutting the hell up because that last half an hour is really, really boring. (laughs) Well, that's what you get for having me do research, see? Y'all bitch and moan about me sitting on my hands. Well, I I got off my hands, so. (laughs) Touche. Damned if you do, damned if you don't. So shut up and let's say goodbye. Thank you.